Heart of the World by H. Ryder Haggard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter One How the Plot Failed. I, Ignacio, the writer of this history, being now a man in my sixty-second year, was born in a village among the mountains that lie between the little town of Pichachalco and Tiapa. Of all that district, my father was the hereditary Cachique, and the Indians there loved him much. When I was a lad, perhaps nine years old, troubles arose in the country, I never quite understood them, or I may have forgotten the circumstances, for such things were always happening. But I think that they were caused by some tax which the government at Mexico had imposed upon us unjustly. Anyhow, my father, a tall man with fiery eyes, refused to pay a tax, and after a while a body of soldiers arrived, mounted upon horses, who shot down a great number of people, and took away some of the women and children. Of my father they made a prisoner, and next day they led him out, while my mother and I were forced to look on, and sat him on the edge of a hole that they had dug, holding guns to his head, and threatening to shoot him unless he would tell them a secret, which they were anxious to learn. All he said, however, was that he wished that they would kill him at once, and so free him from the torment of the mosquitoes which hummed around him. But they did not kill him then, and that night they put him back in prison, where I was brought to visit him by the padre, Ignacio, his cousin and my godfather. I remember that he was shut up in a dirty place, so hot that it was difficult even to breathe, and that there were some drunken Mexican soldiers outside the door, who now and again threatened to make an end of us Indian dogs. My godfather, the priest Ignacio, confessed my father in the corner of the cell, and took something from his hand. Then my father called me to him and kissed me, and with his own fingers... For a few moments he hung about my neck that thing which the priest had taken from him, only to remove it again and give it to Ignacio for safekeeping, saying, See that the boy has it, and its story with it when he comes of age. Now my father kissed me again, blessing me in the name of God, and as he did so great tears ran down his face. Then the priest, Ignacio, took me away, and I never saw my father any more, for the soldiers shot him next morning and threw his body into the hole that they had dug to receive it. After this, my godfather, cousin, and namesake, Ignacio, took me and my mother to the little town of Tiapa, of which he was priest, but she soon died there of a broken heart. In Tiapa we lived in the best house in the place, for it was built of stone and set upon a bank overhanging a beautiful rushing river, with water that was always clear as glass. However much it rained, which river ran a hundred feet or more below the windows. 
About Tiapa there is little to say, except that in those days the people were, for the most part, thieves, and such great sinners that my cousin, the padre, would not shrieve some of them even on their deathbeds. There was a church, however, whereof the roof was overgrown with the most beautiful orchids. Also, the roads were so bad that, except in the dry season, it was difficult to tra travel either to or from the town. Here in this forgotten place I grew up, but not without education, as might, might have been expected, seeing that my cousin was a good scholar and did all he could to keep me out of mischief. When I was about fifteen years of age, of a sudden, a desire took hold of me to become a priest. It was in this wise, one Sunday evening, I sat in the church of Tiapa, looking now at the sprays of orchid flowers that swung to and fro in the breeze outside the window, and now at the votive pictures on the walls, offerings made by men and women, who had called upon their patron saints in the hour of danger and had been rescued by them, here from the fire. There were murderers, and here again from drowning. They were rude and superstitious daubs, but doubtless acceptable to God, who could see in them the piety and gratitude of those that, out of their penury, had caused them to be painted. As I sat thus idly, my godfather, the good priest, began to preach. Now it chanced that two nights before there had been a dreadful murder in Tiapa. Three travelers and a boy, the son of one of them, passing from Cristobal to the coast, stopped to spend the night at a house near our own. With them they brought a mule load of dollars, the price of the merchandise that they had sold at San Cristobal, which uh, some of our fellow townsmen, half-breeds of wicked life, determined to steal. According to the number of ten, these assassins broke into the house where the travelers lodged, and meeting with resistance, they cut down the three of them with machetes and possessed themselves of the silver. Just as they were leaving, one of the thieves perceived the boy hiding beneath a bed, and dragging him out, they killed him also, lest he should bear witness against them. Now those who had done this deed of shame were well known in the town. Still none were arrested, for they bribed the officers with part of their booty. But my godfather, seeing some of them present in the church, took for his text the commandment, Thou shalt do no murder. Never have I heard a finer sermon. Indeed, before it was finished, two of the men rose and crept from the church, conscience-stricken, and when the preacher described the slaughter of the lad whom their wicked hands had of a sudden hurled into eternity, many of the congregation burst into tears. I tell this story because it was then for the first time, as I thought of the murdered boy, who some few days before had been as full of life as I myself, that I came to know what death meant, and to understand that I also must die and depart forever either into heaven or hell. I shook as the thought struck me, and it seemed to me that I saw death standing at my elbow as he stands today. 
and then and there I determined that I would be a priest and do good all my life in order that I might find peace at the last and escape the fate of the evil. On the morrow I went to my godfather's room and told him of my desire. He listened to me attentively and answered, I would that it might be so, my son, holding as I do that the things of the world to come outweigh those of this present earth ten thousandfold. But it cannot be for reasons that you shall learn when you are older. Then, when my trust is ended, you may make your choice, and if you still wish it, become a priest. Five more years passed away, during which time I grew strong and active, and skilled in all manly exercises. Also I studied much under the teaching of my godfather, who sent even to Spain to buy me books. Among these books were many histories of my own race, the Indians, and of their conquest by the Spaniards. All that had been published, indeed, of of such histories I never tired, although it maddened me to read of the misfortunes and cruel oppression of my people, who today were but a nation of slaves. At length, on my twentieth birthday, my godfather, who now has grown very old and feeble, called me into his chamber, and having locked the door, he spoke to me thus, My son, the time has come when I must deliver to you the last message of your beloved father, my cousin and best friend, who was murdered by the soldiers when you were a little child, and tell you of your descent and other matters. First, then, you must know that you are of royal and ancient blood, for your forefather in the eleventh degree was none other than Guatemoc, the last of the Aztec emperors whom the Spaniards murdered, which descent I can prove to you by means of old writings and pedigrees. Also it is known and attested among the Indians, who even now do not forget the stock whence sprang their kings. Then by right I am emperor of Mexico, I said proudly, for in my folly it seemed a fine thing to be sprung from a man who once had worn a crown. Alas, my son, the old priest answered sadly, in this world might is the only right, and the Spaniards ended that of your forefathers long ago by aid of torture and the noose, save that it will earn you reverence among the Indians. It is but a barren honor which you inherit with your blood. Yet there is one thing that has come down to you from your ancestor, Guatemoc, and the monarchs who ruled before him. Perchance you remember that on the night previous to his death, your father set an amulet upon your neck, and, removing it again, gave it to me to keep. Here is that amulet. Then he handed me a trinket made of the half of a heart-shaped emerald, smooth with wear but unpolished, that if joined to its missing section would have been as large as a dove's egg. This stone was not broken but cut from the top to the bottom, the line of separation being so cunningly sawn 
that no man, unless he had one half before him, could imitate the other. The charm was bored through so as to be worn upon a chain, and engraved upon its surface were some strange hieroglyphics, and the outline of half a human face. "'What is it?' I asked. The old priest shrugged his shoulders and answered, "'A relic which had to do with their wicked heathen magic rites, I suppose.' I know little about it except that your father told me it was the most valued possession of the Aztec kings, and that the natives believe that when the two halves of this stone come together, the men of white blood will be driven from Central America, and an Indian emperor shall rule from sea to sea. And where is the other half, father? Oh, how should I know? he answered testily who have no faith in such stories or in stones with the heads of idols graven upon them. I am a priest, and therefore your father told me little of the matter, since it is not lawful that I should belong to secret societies. Still, some such society exists, and in virtue of the ownership of that talisman you will be head of it, as your ancestors were before you, though, as far as I can learn, the honor brought them but little luck. I know no more about it, but I will give you letters to a certain Indian who lives in the district of which your father was Kachike, and when you show him the stone, doubtless he will initiate you into its mysteries, though I counsel you to have nothing to do with them. Listen, Ignacio, my son, you are a rich man. How rich I cannot tell you, but for many generations your forefathers have hidden up treasures for an object which I must explain, and the gold will be handed over to you by those of your clan in whose keeping it is. It was because of this treasure that your father and your great-grandfather were done to death with many others, since the rumor of it came to the ears of those who ruled in Mexico, who, when they failed to force its secret from them, tormented and killed them in their rage. Now, this was the message of your father to you concerning the wealth which he and his ancestors had hidden. Tell my son Ignacio, should he live to grow up, that there has never departed from our family the desire to win back the crown that Guatemoc lost, or at least to drive out the accursed Spaniards and their spawn, and to establish an Indian republic. To this end we have heaped up wealth for generations that it might serve us when the hour was ripe and because of this wealth of which the whisper could not altogether be hid in a land which is full of spies, some of us have come to cruel deaths, as I am about to die tonight. But I shall die keeping my secret, and when my son grows up, others will rule at Mexico, or the matter may have been forgotten. At least the gold will be where I left it. Now say to my son that it is my hope that he will use it in the cause to further which it has been amassed, that he will devote his life to the humbling of our white masters and to the uplifting of the race which for centuries they have robbed, murdered, and enslaved. 
Nevertheless, say to him that I lay no commands upon him as to these matters, seeing that he must follow his own will about them, for I cannot forget that from generation to generation those who went before him have reaped nothing but disaster in their struggle against the white devils, whom, because of the sins and idolatry of our forefathers, it has pleased God to set over us. Those were your father's words, my son, which he spoke to me in the hour of his murder. Now you will understand why I said that you must wait before you are determined to be a priest. If that is still your wish, it can be fulfilled, for your father left it to you to follow whatever life you might desire. When he had finished speaking, I thought for a while and answered, So long as my father's blood is unavenged, I cannot become a priest. It is as I feared, said the old man with a sigh. That cursed talisman which lies about your neck has begun its work with you, Ignacio, and you will tread the path that the others trod, perchance to die in blood as they died. Oh, why cannot man be content to leave the righting of wrongs and the destinies of nations in the hands of the Almighty and his angels? Because, for good or evil, the Almighty chooses men to be his instruments, I answered. Within a week from this day some Indians came to Tiapa, disguised as porters, whose mission it was to lead me to the mountains among which my father had lived and where his treasure still lay hidden bidding farewell to my godparent the priest who wept when we parted from me i started upon my journey keeping my destination secret as it chanced i never saw him more for a month later he was seized with some kind of calentura or fever and died suddenly the best thing I can say of him is that, with one exception, there lives no man in heaven above whom I desire so greatly to meet again. On the third day of my journey we reached a narrow pass in the mountains, beyond which lay an Indian village. Here my guides took me to the house of one Antonio, uh, to whom the Padre Ignacio had given me letters, an old man of venerable aspect, who greeted me warmly and made me known to several caciques who were staying with him. I knew not why. So as soon as we were alone in the house, one of these caciques, after addressing me in words which I could not understand, asked me if I had a heart. To this I replied that I hoped so, whereat they all laughed. Then the man Antonio, coming to me, unbuttoned my shirt, revealing the talisman that had belonged to my father, and at the sight of it the company bowed. Next the doors were locked, and centuries having been posted before them, a ceremony began which even now is not lawful that I should describe in detail. On this solemn occasion I was first initiated into the mysteries of the Order of the Heart, and afterwards installed as its hereditary chief, thus becoming, while yet a boy, the absolute lord of many thousand men, brethren of our society, who were scattered far and wide about the land. 
On the day after I had taken the final oaths, Antonio handed over to me the treasure that my ancestors hoarded in a secret place which my father had left in his keeping, and it was a great treasure amounting to more than a million dollars in value. Now I was rich, both in men and money. Still following the counsel of Antonio, I abode for a while in the village, receiving those who came from every part of Mexico to visit me as holder of the heart, and as first in rank among the fallen peoples of the Indians. It was during these three months that I made the great error of my life. Some three miles from the village where I dwelt lived two sisters, Indian sisters of noble blood, though poor, one of them a widow, and the other a very beautiful girl, younger than myself, I chanced that riding past their house upon a certain Sunday evening, when most of the inhabitants of the valley were away at a fiesta, I heard screams coming from it. Dismounting from my horse, I ran in at the door, which was open, and saw one of the sisters, a widow, lying dead upon the ground, while two bandits, Mexicans, were attacking the younger woman. Drawing my machete, I cut down the first of them before he had time to turn. Then I turned upon the second man with such fury that I drove him back against the wall. Seeing that his life was in danger, he called upon me not to kill him for the sake of a low Indian girl, which insult maddened me so that I slew him upon the spot and caused his body, with that of his companion, to be buried secretly. It happened that after this the girl whose life I had saved came to dwell in my village where I saw much of her. So lovely was she and so clever that soon she won my heart and the end of it was that, being headstrong and in love, I married her against the advice of Antonio and others of my brethren of the order. It would have been better for the Indian people, and perhaps for me also, if I had died before I stood at the altar with this woman, though for a while she was a good wife, and because of her cleverness a great service to me at the time. Now it must be stated that during all these months... I had not been idle. The more I thought of them, the more wrongs of my countrymen, the real owners of the land, took hold of my mind, till at length they possessed it utterly, and I became an enthusiast and a dreamer. This was the object of my life, to form a great conspiracy which should bring about a rising of the Indians in every province of Mexico upon a given day, then, when the Spaniards and their bastards, the Spanish Mexicans, had been stamped out to re-establish the empire of the Aztecs. It was a madness, perhaps, but the madness lurked in my blood. My forefathers had suffered from and for it, and I think it must have come down to us from our ancestors, Guatemoc, the greatest and the most unfortunate Indian who ever lived. Where they failed, I determined to succeed, and, strange to say, in the end, I went near to success. For years I labored, traveling to and fro about the land, till there was no province where I was not known as the holder of the heart, and the chief by blood of the Indian tribes. 
Everywhere I strove to rouse the people from their sloth, and to win the caciques, or headmen, to the cause, and I did not strive in vain. I used my great wealth to buy arms, to gain over the lukewarm with bribes, and in many other ways. When my fortunes sank low, I gathered more, for without gold nothing could be done. Treasures that were buried in the old days were given up to me as lord of the heart, by those who had their secret. Also, many brought me money, each what uh, he could spare, and I hoarded it against the hour of need. For a year or more I was the greatest power in Mexico, yet, though hundreds were privy to my plot, it was so well hidden that no whisper of it came to the ears of the government. At length all was ready, and so carefully were my plans laid that success seemed certain. But the unforeseen happened, and I failed. Thus, that woman whose life I had saved, my own wife, whom I loved and trusted, who was bound to my cause and that of her countrymen by every tie, human and divine, betrayed me and it. Just before the time fixed for the rising, it was agreed that she should be placed as one of whom we could be sure to play the part of a servant in the house of a man who ruled Mexico in those days, that she might spy upon him. Instead of doing so, she, my wife, fell in love with him. It is so easy to guess the rest. One night, but a week before the appointed time, I and some five or six others, the leaders of our party, were seized. My companions were made away with secretly, but I was brought before the great man who received me alone, holding a pistol in his hand. I know of your plans, friend, he said, and I congratulate you on them, for they were cleverly managed. I know also that you have great treasure in gold hidden away, and he named the sum. That wife of yours, whom you were fool enough to trust, has told me everything, but she cannot tell me where the money is hidden, for this you withhold from her, which shows that you are not altogether mad. Now, friend, I make you this fair offer. Hand over this treasure, and you shall go free. Of course, when the day of vengeance is past, and your sheep have found themselves without a shepherd, nor shall you be molested afterwards. Refuse to do so, and you will be brought to trial, and die as you deserve. How can you promise for others? I asked. You are not the only white man who would have fallen. I can promise for others, first, because I am their master, and secondly, because nobody but myself knows anything of this matter, since if I told them I must also share your wealth with them, and that, friend, I mean to keep. Give it up to me, and you may go and plot against my successors and the government of Mexico as much as you as pleases you, and take your wife with you for aught I care. For, friend, having earned so comfortable a competence, I propose to leave a land where, as this business proves, people in authority are too apt to have their throats cut. Now choose, and be so good as to stand quite still while you are thinking the matter over, 
or I may be forced to shoot you. How about my associates? I asked. I believe that three or four of them have been carried off uh, by typhus. Within the last day or two, uh, the prisons here are so unhealthy. But I am sure that if the gold is forthcoming, uh, no more will sicken. Then I chose, for I thought to myself that I might get more gold, but I could never get another life, and if I died, many must suffer with me, and all my hopes for the future of the Indian race would come to naught. Also I knew that this villain to be a man of his word, and that what he promised he would fulfill. Within ten days he had the money and I was free to begin my life again, nor did any of those who were doomed to perish in it learn the tale of the plot that had threatened them. I was free, but what a freedom was this, when I had lost everything save the breath that God placed in my nostrils, and perhaps my honor. The great house that I had builded was fallen to the ground. The monies I had amassed were quite stolen, the chief of my companions were dead. My credit as a deliverer of the people was gone, and my cause had become hopeless. All these things had come upon me because of a woman, a traitress whom I had nurtured in my bosom. At first I was dazed, but when I came to understand, I swore a great oath before heaven that for her false sake I would hate and renounce her sex, that whatever might be the temptation, never again would I look kindly upon women, or have to do with one of them in word or thought or deed. That oath, so far as lay in my power, I have kept to this day, and I hope to keep through all eternity. It may be asked what became of my wife. I do not know. I lifted no hand against her who was flesh of my flesh, but she perished. The story was known. I was forced to tell it clear myself. After I escaped from the prison, I lay ill for many weeks, and when I recovered, she was gone. Others had been betrayed beside myself, and doubtless some of them had wreaked fitting vengeance on her. What it was, I never asked. For many years, twenty perhaps, I became a wanderer. Now, as before, the Indians loved me, and as... Lord of the Heart and their hereditary Kachike, in a sense I was still great, although but the shadow of power dwelt with me. The substance had departed, as it departs ever from those who fail. From time to time I strove to rebuild the plot, but now that I was friendless and without fortune, few would follow me thus far. So it came about that at length I abandoned the endeavor and lived as best I could. I fought in three wars, gaining honors therein, and took my share in many adventures, all of which left me as poor as I had entered on them. At times I remembered my desire to become a priest, but now it was over late to study. Also my hands were too much soiled with the affairs of the world. Wearying of the struggle, I went back to my village in the mountains, and dwelt there a while, but this also wearied me, having nothing to do, and I turned my attention to the management of mines. It was while I was thus employed, as a middle-aged man, that I made the acquaintance 
of James Strickland, who was destined to accompany me to the city heart of the world. End of chapter 1